welcome to the Hoop Theory Podcast. This is the Walt Frazier episode, aka episode 10. My name is Logan Worman, and in today's episode, we're going to be talking about the All-NBA teams for this regular season, as well as All-Defense and All-Rookie. And just for fun, let's just go in the reverse order of how I just listed them. So starting off with the All-Rookie first and second teams. All-Rookie teams weren't really that hard for me this year, I don't think. I think there's a clear top three. And then right after that, there's also a next tier of three. So like... There's a clear top six, I feel like, and there's a clear top three as well, if that makes sense. Um, I think there is a really similar thing in the MVP discussion also, to be quite honest, and, you know, all NBA because that's almost the same conversation. But yeah, I'll get to that later. So with the all-rookie, I'm going to go with Cade uh, as the first guard on my all-rookie first team, uh, Cade Cunningham, first pick of the NBA draft last year. You know, he started off the season pretty slow. He was injured for a lot uh, of the beginning of the season. But yeah, even when he came back and started playing, he was, you know, he just really wasn't hitting his shots all that much. But, you know, he definitely progressed as the season went along. He became more efficient. And you could see, you know, that poise that he plays with just kind of grew. He got more comfortable playing in this league. I want to look at his splits really quick for this season, see how he's progressed. Okay, actually, his uh, shooting percentages really haven't, like, gone up a whole lot throughout the year. Like, his best month by far was March in terms of just field goal percentage in general. Now, his best month was March, though, if you look at all his other stats, too, outside of his just, just his shooting splits. Averaging 23 points, 6 rebounds, 7 assists. And it's on 48% from the field, about 32.5% from 3, and about 83% from the line. And he was actually about plus five, too, in the month of March, which is actually really impressive for, you know, a whole 14-game sample for any lineup with the Pistons to be plus five is <laughs> uh, is pretty good, let alone, you know, a starter, one that has a pretty big sample size. But yeah, no, Cade is definitely my first guard on the all-rookie first team. That's not a hard decision at all. But yeah, I guess as a little descriptor for all these guys, uh, he was the first pick in the draft out of Oklahoma State. He was one and done there. He's basically like a medium-sized wing in the NBA. He's 6'6", 220, so he's definitely got some size um, and length for that matter. But the Pistons have been using him as like the lead ball handler. I don't know if that's the exact role he's going to have throughout his entire career, but it's definitely going to be a part of his game for as long as he's in the league. Sometimes I wonder watching him if he would kind of thrive as having that as more of like a secondary part of his game or like being the secondary option on his team to be the lead ball handler and initiator and play more as like a finisher and maybe connector between teammates, stuff like that. I don't want this to have like a bad connotation in people's minds because I don't mean it as an insult in the slightest, but kind of like a Paul George type of thing. A little bit smaller Paul George, you know, can be a really effective knockdown shooter off the catch and create his own shot with ease and then, you know, be really versatile on defense and also possess some really good ball skills like playmaking in the pick and roll and and swinging out to shooters on drives. You know, Paul George, his playmaking is really big part of his game, but it's one that a lot of people don't even really credit him for. I feel like kind of goes overlooked by a lot of the general, you know, fan base of the league. So yeah, I feel like he has the potential to be even better than Paul George, especially in terms of the playmaking and stuff like that. Just because he definitely has more like creativity and and like a flashy edge to it so far than Paul George does. 
and he's only 19, 20, you know, so he can definitely even exceed that bar, which is definitely, you know, uh, very good. It's a very good playmaker, especially from the wing position. So yeah, I kind of look at him as more of a wing. He's used with the Pistons as a point guard. Um, that's what he's listed at and everything. You know, a lot of people were comparing him to Luca coming out of the draft. And then there's a lot of people also that were really disappointed with his height when it got officially measured in the NBA because at Oklahoma State, I think he was listed at 6'8", I'm pretty sure. Um, and most players in recent years coming from college to the NBA will usually, you know, be an inch or two shorter than what they were listed at in college. And that's just because the NBA has like a new standard for how they measure the heights of all their players, I guess. They do it with no shoes. And I think they actually have like representatives from the league that measure the players um, as opposed to just, you know, having the team relay that information to the league with their roster. Basically, like the team can just list a player at whatever height. And that's typically how that works. That works that way in college and high school and all levels. Um, it used to work that way in the NBA, pretty sure. So that's been like the change, I guess, just a couple years ago. Even all the players in the NBA, a lot of them went down an inch or two some people went up like lebron went from 6'8 to 6'9 Melo went from 6'8 to 6'7 donovan mitchell i think went from either i think he was listed at 6'4 maybe at least 6'3 but i think he was listed at 6'4 before now he's listed at 6'1 he just looks a lot bigger because his wingspan and stuff like that but there's a few players like that anyways enough talking about height i think detroit definitely has like a nice little core of players being built you know in terms of future prospects and players should develop. I think Killian Hayes still has a shot, even though he's struggled through his first two seasons now. Uh, Sadiq Bey is really good as a bigger wing on their team. And then Isaiah Stewart, you know, as a bruiser inside, kind of a undersized natural center. Yeah, and then whoever they add this year will probably be another really good addition to that because they'll have a pretty high pick, seeing that they had the third worst record in the league. So that means they have, you know, the third best odds in the lottery. So they could definitely even get number one pick with the way the lottery works. But yeah, let's move on to the rest of these. So my second guard spot really could go either way, to be honest. This is a little bit harder. And I think it's clearly between just two guys. But I'm going to go with Josh Giddy. You know, the one thing that was kind of pulling me not in favor of him was games played. But, you know, with all rookie, I guess I don't care quite as much about that. Also, it wasn't by much. Like, he played 54 games this year. And the other candidate played 67 I mean, it, like, it's a decent amount, but I guess I was a bit more impressed with Giddy this season. So I'm just going to give it to him. I could really go either way. Doesn't matter too much to me. But yeah, so Giddy is actually listed at 6'8 in the NBA, which is really impressive considering what I was just saying before during Cade's thing about how the NBA does their height now. But yeah, he's a legit 6'8. I think he is the best playmaker in this draft in terms of just like pure passing skill, I guess, is what I mean by that. You know, you can make the case for Cade of being the better playmaker because of his, you know, floor spacing ability and scoring ability and stuff like that. So, like, those things create much more opportunities for good playmaking. So, it depends on whether or not you want to look at that as, like, you know, a part of playmaking or not. Depends on your definition of stuff, I guess. But, but yeah, Giddy, I just feel like this season on a team that had very, very little spacing, like, stylistically, Giddy should not really fit on this OKC team being that he is not a good shooter like at all so far doesn't have a whole lot of scoring repertoire but he was just a ridiculous playmaker for them you know averaging about six and a half assists eight rebounds pretty sure okc was the worst team in the league this year in terms of 
like three-point shooting. So yeah, didn't have a lot of space to operate, but in the moments that he did, you know, in those open court transition sequences and stuff like that, it was a beauty to watch. And he's got a great nickname, the Oss with the Sauce. Um, I'm looking at his basketball reference right now, and they don't have any nicknames listed for him yet, which they definitely should. They should add that. But yeah, he was the sixth pick in the draft this year out of Melbourne, Australia. He's one of the youngest players in the NBA. I think he might be second. I think Josh Primo might be the only one who's younger than him, who is the 12th pick in the draft this year to the Spurs. But yeah, no, definitely excited for Josh Giddy's career, see where he'll go. I don't know if it's going to be with the Thunder long term or not. Definitely some things should probably change there um, if they are wanting to hold on to him and build around him or incorporate him into what they're building, I guess, not necessarily build around him. I don't know if he's going to be that level of a star or not. I think he might have the potential for that, though. Who knows? If you guys have listened to this show throughout the year, you know how big of a fan of Ricky Rubio I am and his play style. So even if Josh Giddy is just a tall Ricky Rubio, that's a player I'm really going to like. <laughs> so so now moving on to the forwards in my all-rookie first team, I'm going to go with Scotty Barnes from the Raptors as my first forward. Wow, Scotty Barnes is listed at 6'9", apparently. I don't know how accurate that is. Yeah, most places have him at 6'7". That's what I thought. I think he's 6'7 on like 2K, which I thought was the official NBA rosters. So I don't know where Basketball Reference gets their stuff, but he's listed at 6'9", 227 on Basketball Reference. But yeah, anyways, he's a big wing. That's all you need to know. Uh, He's got arms for days. He was the sixth man out of Florida State. In his freshman year, he was the fourth pick in the draft, though, which is the second year in a row that the fourth pick in the draft was a sixth man from Florida State, <laughs> which is probably something that will never happen again. But who knows? Because Patrick Williams went fourth last year, and he was also the sixth man at Florida State just the year before. So, you know, both big wings and also both were pretty big surprises. Both of them weren't really projected to go that high, especially at the beginning of the whole scouting process. They both climbed quite a bit, though, throughout that time. And like come draft day, it was basically just rumors or murmurs that, hey, maybe this person could go forth. Like, what if that happens? But probably not, you know, that type of thing. But they did both actually end up going forth. So in this draft, at least, that's definitely, you know, shown to be a really good pick. Because I was surprised at the time. I really wanted the Raptors to take Jalen Suggs out of Gonzaga who ended up going to the Magic at five, and he did not have a very good rookie season. I still think, you know, it'll turn around for him. But at this point, Scotty Barnes is definitely the more enticing prospect, um, that's for sure. Another pretty natural playmaker. I think, uh, you know, some really good, I guess, descriptions or comparisons of the player that Scotty Barnes is. You know, he's only 20 years old, but he's he's kind of like, I guess, a Draymond Green or a Scotty Pippen, like somewhere between those two. I'm not trying to say he's as good as those players. That's why a lot of people don't really like comparisons with prospects because they always want to attach it to you're saying like that's how good a player is. I've never had a problem really with comparisons like that, even to great players, because it's really more about the skill set that you're comparing, like not the level of skill, but like the what areas is he stronger in than others? You know, what are his strengths versus weaknesses? You know, you could have a very scaled down version of Michael Jordan who might not even be good enough to start, but his, you know, a good comparison for him could even be, you know, he's a Michael Jordan-esque play style. You know what I mean? I can't think of any examples off the top of my head, but I think you know what I mean. 
yeah, he's been really good defensive player for them this year, as well as just kind of possessing like skills across the board. You know, good playmaker, good defender, really good rebounder at about seven and a half a game. He's had a really good feel, you know, not throwing too many turnovers for a rookie. And his shot selection has looked pretty good too. You know, not chucking too many threes, which is one of his weaker points, but still not like terrible for a rookie. You know, he's over the 30% mark. So yeah, not terrible. And if you listen to my last episode, the one with Jacob, I actually did take Scotty Barnes as my rookie of the year just because he went with Mobley and I'm kind of torn between Barnes and Mobley for the award. So I just went with Barnes since he chose Mobley, which I'm okay with. You know, I'd be totally fine with either of them winning it. I also get like a case for Cade as well, but his is a little bit different. I heard Ryan Russillo make it. You know, he's just been asked to do a lot more for his team than Mobley and Barnes have, you know, kind of just given the keys fully and been like the engine of the offense. Then, you know, he's also defending usually a really good perimeter player on the other team. Barnes and Mobley both kind of came into more established cultures or teams, and they've just really elevated them into good teams this year. Like the Cavs with Mobley and Allen and Garland, as well as Rubio. Like when they had all four of those guys healthy, the Cavs were a really good team this year. The Raptors have been a really good team ever since, I don't know, basically the second half of the season or maybe the turn of the calendar year, I would say. Ever since Siakam, I guess, kind of turned it on. He kind of elevated his game after struggling early on in the season. And that was kind of the turning point for them, I think. But yeah, Barnes is still like a huge part of that team, probably their third best player. And same with Mobley. You know, he's been their third most important player probably behind Allen and Garland and then Barnes behind Siakam and Van Vliet. But, you know, Toronto has so many good players, though, too, that you could probably make an argument for OG on Anobi. But, yeah, I think most people would agree that Barnes has a really good case, at least for the third best player on the Raptors this year, maybe even higher for some people. Who knows? But yeah, another good playmaker. You know, all three guys so far have been playmakers and Actually, all five guys on my first team are all really good playmakers, to be honest. And my second team is all not as good. Like none of none of my second team has like playmaking as like one of their main strengths, other than maybe one of the players. But yeah, I'll get to that in a second. So my second forward on the all rookie first team is Franz Wagner, who is the eighth pick, I believe, out of Michigan. He's Mo Wagner's little brother. So in basketball reference, they have him listed as six nine two twenty five, which is like the same as they had uh, Scotty. But yeah, if you guys have been watching me play Pirtle, they keep saying on Pirtle that he's 6'10". So who knows? But yeah, he was eighth pick out of Michigan. He's another guy who has playmaking as a pretty major part of his game, I guess, from the forward position. Like, I think he has the chance to be like a, like a tall Gordon Hayward, maybe, as, as his skill set somewhat, but even better defender. Maybe not overall, but like a better one-on-one you know switchable stay in front of your guy type of defender with gordon hayward i feel like most of the value he brings on the defensive end is is more cerebral like team defense instead of one-on-one but yeah i feel like uh he's probably going to improve his three-point shooting a little bit uh he's shot about league average this year at like 35 and a half percent which is good for a wing as big as he is but i think he is even better shooter than that when it's all said and done especially that he's shooting over 86% from the line. But yeah, he played for a really bad Magic team this year that I don't really feel like that he fits like super well into yet. You know, I don't think it complements him all that well. 
yeah, I feel like he'll be easy enough to build around or, you know, build into long-term plan for a team. It'll be fun to see once he does have that, uh, what kind of player he can be. But yeah. And my center on my ROQ first team is going to be Evan Mobley, um, who's the third pick in the draft out of USC. He was my number one prospect in the draft this year. Like I had him ranked even over Cade. But yeah, he's been really versatile defensive piece for Cleveland this year. He's been a good playmaker and decision maker on the offensive end as well. Good rebounder, pretty good post score inside too. So yeah, and I think he has a really good case for rookie of the year, to be quite honest. But yeah, basketball reference has him listed at seven foot two fifteen. When I watch him play at least, I th- I really feel like he's more like six ten, but that might just be because he's so thin. Yeah, for his rookie season, he's averaged fifteen points, eight and a half rebounds, two and a half assists on fifty one percent from the field and about 66% from the line. So, you know, making two out of every three. His three-point shot was better at the beginning of the season. I think he was shooting up in the mid-30s. But by the end of the year, it looks like he dropped down to about 25%. So, yeah, now on to my second team, all-rookie. I'm going to do this one a little bit faster. So, my first guard on the all-rookie second team is an easy one. I think he's definitely on a different level than the rest of these uh, four players on the second team. And that's Jalen Green, who was the second pick of the draft out of... Uh, I was trying to think of where he went to college for a second, but now I remember he played for the G League Ignite team this past year. So he didn't go to college. But really electrifying, you know, athletic guard. You know, he's definitely a really intriguing player as well. It'll be interesting to see where he goes. But yeah, the Rockets were just really terrible this year. And it wasn't really a um, great environment for him to thrive in, you know. But he did average 17 points. Three and a half rebounds, two and a half assists, 34.5% from three, which is actually not bad, and about 43% from the field. So yeah, Jalen Green is my first guard on the all-rookie second team. Still think they should have drafted Mobley, though. And then there's my second guard on the all-rookie second team. Honestly, my next few positions, like the next three players, all kind of, you could say, are guards. The one that's my guard is definitely only a guard. Like, he probably wouldn't slide for being a forward which I'm pretty sure on the rookie teams, uh, they don't even have a requirement for positions. At least I'm pretty sure. Uh, It's just basically top five rookies and then the next five rookies. But I like to make them somewhat of a, you know, lineup. It's just I'm less strict on the positions than I am on on BA for the most part. So yeah, this, just so you know, this is a really small ball lineup for my all-rookie second team. Yeah, Bones, Highland, from the Nuggets is going to be my first or my second guard rather on my second team. I believe he had, if not the best, then like second best or up there with the best scoring outputs this season as a rookie in terms of per 36, uh, just because he played limited minutes kind of buried on Denver's bench and Michael Malone doesn't love to play young players. Never really been his style, but, but yeah, he's been a nice little spark plug score for us off the bench especially in the second half of the year uh he took a pretty big step up um so yeah bones is going to be my second guard there and then the next player i have he's a small wing you can call him a two or a three but yeah i have him uh, as a forward austin reeves from the lakers um who i believe was undrafted out of oklahoma but yeah he's just been a really really solid role player for the lakers all year long they actually have really needed him a lot of their lineups as, you know, a floor spacer, 3 and D small wing. And then Chris Duarte, another 3 and D smaller wing, is my next forward from the Pacers. 
I think he was the oldest rookie this season. And he's got a little bit more than just 3 and D. You know, he has some uh, scoring ability as well in isolation, especially in like, you know, bench units. And then Herb Jones is going to be my center, my small ball center on my second team. Herb Jones might be the best defender in this rookie class, you know, up there with Evan Mobley. You could maybe throw Scotty Barnes into that and make a top three. But I think Herb and Mobley would probably be the top two, to be honest. He's like a 6'8 wing, really lengthy, super versatile. You know, guards the best player on the other team, pretty much regardless of position. You know, they put him on guards a lot. So he'll guard, you know, Steph Curry one day, and the next day he'll be guarding LeBron. And to do all that as a rookie is just is ridiculous. So definitely want to reward him with a all-rookie spot. He'd be my seventh rookie, to be honest. I just went in order of position. But yeah, I think the top three are obviously Mobley, Barnes, and Cade. And then the next three are probably Josh Giddy, uh, Jalen Green, and Franz Wagner. And then I think Herb Jones would be in his own tier after that. Then, yeah, I guess I have Bones Highland, Austin Reeves, and Chris Duarte to round out the top ten. But yeah, uh, now moving on to all defense. I think the guards on the all-defensive first team were pretty easy for me for the most part. I have Marcus Smart and Mikal Bridges as the backcourt spots. I'm pretty sure Mikal Bridges is like listed as a forward. like He plays three, but he definitely could be the two. I'm pretty positive the Suns have some lineups where he's basically the two out there. But yeah, for the defensive teams, I think of it a little bit more like matchups, like what players they can guard is where you can put them for their positions. So versatile wings could go most places. And then centers are usually more, you know, traditional centers for the most part. Yeah, so my all-defensive teams are both really big, obviously, because I'm trying to fit the best 10 defenders in the league on there. Yeah, so Marcus Martin, Mikhail Bridges. And then my forwards are Jaron Jackson Jr. and Giannis. In me and Jacob's episode where we went through awards, one guy I totally forgot about for Defensive Player of the Year was Jaron Jackson Jr., who definitely is going to get some votes this year, I feel like. I don't know if he'd be my vote. Like, he has the rim protection as well as, like, the versatility to defend on the perimeter more so than Gobert does. But, yeah, in that discussion with me and Jacob the other day, I don't know, I really feel like Gobert, like, a lot of people do see Gobert as, like, what Jacob was saying, as, like, a liability on the perimeter. Um, I Honestly, I think that's just a misconception. And it's really kind of unfair, I feel like. And it's just because a lot of people, including myself at first, didn't have the nuance or didn't like, you know, really think about it in too much depth to really think about whose fault this is, you know, with their playoff collapses and their the weakness in their system. But like, if you really think about what the weakness is in their system is, it's not Gobert's fault in the slightest. Like, how is there any blame on Gobert? People treat it like just because against the Jazz, you can beat them by pulling Gobert out of the paint like going five out and make it so there's no protection at the rim and then just penetrate the most penetratable defense in the NBA and get to the basket for easy shots. How is that Gobert's fault at all? I don't know. Like, I feel like it's because a lot of people already want to hate on Gobert. Like he's a pretty dislikable person. It feels like from what most people's opinions on him are. And also like at some points, what I've kind of leaned towards with him, you know, I've kind of had this like, you know, self-correction thing where I don't want to just dislike a guy for no reason. I just don't really think that there are a whole lot of reasons to just dislike him, to be honest. So oddly enough, I've become more of a Gobert defender, usually, just because he has so many haters. Uh, I think it's really, honestly, not fair. I still wouldn't consider myself like a Gobert fan, that's for sure. Yeah, anyways, he's definitely the best rim protector in the league, but I feel like it's hard for people to see him 
as the great defense player that he is because it's unconventional like we see the highlights of like there's been a couple plays where either chris paul or steph curry i think they've both had highlight plays where they pull gobert out of the paint on a switch which happens to every big man in the league any seven footer who's brought out on an island like that and against two of the best ball handlers in nba history and chris paul and steph curry and really like not even just seven footers even like the best defenders in the league have been put on skates by those guys so it's like people see that i feel like that just helps form their opinion of gobert's bad on the perimeter or something because he's gotten crossed up by some of the best point guards ever but i don't know i feel like more times than not he recovers very very well on the perimeter when he switched on to guards and especially wings um like i really don't see him as a liability at all and even in our conversation, like where Jacob said, he sees Gobert as more of a liability on the perimeter than Mikhail Bridges would be as a rim protector in the paint. And I just disagree with that. Like Mikhail Bridges is 6'5", 6'6". He wouldn't be a bad rim protector for a wing, not at all, but that would be just a night and day difference. Um, just look at like the points per game or the points per 100 possessions difference that you would have just by swapping those two. It would be astronomical, you know, and if you did the same thing with just putting Gobert on the perimeter you wouldn't have near as much of a change. And that's, but that kind of just speaks to the point of like why rim protectors win this award every year for the most part, because mathematically they are the most important piece on the defense because a perimeter defender is just like one piece of that whole wall or that whole defense and therefore is less vital or less significant. You know, having one great perimeter defender doesn't just like carry your defense as much as having one great rim protector or one great interior defender. But yeah. So I made the point of like, if you saw Gobert on a team like the Celtics or I don't know, um, the heat, just a team that is more defensive oriented and has, you know, better defenders all the way around where pulling him out of the paint isn't as much of an advantage because, you know, you still have to penetrate a defense that's really malleable and can rotate really well and help really well and stay in front of their man. So it'd still be a challenge to score against. Yeah. You'd still see point guards probably get switches onto go bear, just like they do against every seven footer they play against because they're faster than them and try to get downhill at them and go bear. I feel like is going to do a decent job recovering and you wouldn't really notice him as that bad of a liability, which we don't already. We already don't notice him as a liability on defense. I feel like it's just perceived that way because because people see it as like, oh, well, Gobert is supposed to protect the rim, but if they pull him out and now now the Jazz are getting eviscerated, so that must be so that's Gobert's fault, I guess. So yeah, that's bad for Gobert or whatever. I honestly don't really know how we think about it that way or how I because th- I remember even when I thought about it, like I used to use phrases like he gets played off the floor and things like that, which is just not true at all. Gobert has never been played off the floor in the playoffs. If anything, th- like they just want more. Of, they they wish they had two Gobert's out there. You know, it's like taking him off the floor doesn't really help anything other than maybe maybe making them faster in transition. Like there's there's like things that advantages they can probably get to by switching to that because they've at that point, they've just completely lost like okay, we don't have any rim protection really because you guys are going five out. So if we go five out also, then maybe maybe we'll have a better chance. But it doesn't make their defense any better. That's for sure. Their defense does not get any better at all when they do that. And in fact, it definitely gets a little bit worse at that point when you're going from having Gobert as one of your perimeter defenders to not Gobert and another Jazz defender. 
So yeah, I don't remember how I got on this tangent to be honest, but Gobert is my center on my all rookie or on my all defensive first team. Yeah, I honestly can't remember back to why I got into this discussion with myself. Oh yeah, I think it was Jaron Jackson Jr.'s case for the defensive player of the year. Because yeah, I feel like Jaron Jackson Jr. does have somewhat of a case as well, being that he has that rim protection, not obviously to the level of a, of a Gobert. And honestly, he is a bit too like foul prone as well compared to Gobert. But then, you know, it's like the best of both worlds because he's like a seven footer who is really lean. He's like, he's more of just a stretch um, and stretch. I mean, by like very tall version of not like a floor spacer, um, but he is also a floor spacer. So this works in both ways. He's like a stretch big wing. You know, he's a supersized big wing, kind of like a Giannis, but he's a spot up shooter and doesn't possess, you know, Giannis's other skills on the offensive end. And so that brings me to my next forward, who is Giannis. And, you know, he's just, he's filled in really well on this Bucks defense, um, who's been without a center, like, all year long, without Brook Lopez. And so he went from being, you know, the help defender on one of the best defenses of all time, because they had, you know, that rim protector in Brook Lopez, so he could roam off ball and help and all, do all that kind of stuff. So he's had to switch roles this year to not doing that, and instead being, you know, the rim protector for this team. So there's something to be said for that. I feel like him having to completely change roles defensively and still keep this team above water and keep them as a really good defense in this league. And then, like I already said before, uh, Gobert is my center on the first team, all defense. And then on the second team, my guards are going to be Drew Holiday, who's just one of the best perimeter defenders in the league. And then Herb Jones, I'm going to have as my other guard, even though he's you know a 6'8 big wing he does actually primarily defend guards quite a bit. So I think this works. Feel good enough about it, at least, to slide him in as a guard on the second team. And then my two forwards are going to be Jared Vanderbilt from Minnesota Timberwolves and then Bam Adebayo from the Miami Heat, which Bam would probably be first team if he played more this season. You know, he's he only played 56 games this season. So that's like a whole 26 missed games, you know. So... And then as my center, my all-defensive second team, I have Time Lord, Robert Williams from the Boston Celtics, who this year has kind of been playing that Giannis role from last year that I was just talking about, or, you know, the role that Giannis usually plays throughout his career as more of the roaming help defender off ball. It's also like a Draymond role. I just noticed, just because I brought up Draymond's name as a comparison, that I don't have Draymond on an all-defensive team, which is probably a mistake. He just didn't come to my mind for some reason. I made these kind of quickly. But he did only play 46 games this year. Draymond, that is. So maybe, yeah, he's probably eliminated. I feel like for the All-NBA teams, I look at it as, like, I can't really put a player on a All-NBA team if they haven't played at least two-thirds of their team's games. 67%, you know. So that's definitely not that slightly over 50 percent yeah i'm just gonna eliminate draymond green i guess for the season which like you know if he was healthy all year he'd definitely be on these teams um somewhere on there yeah i think all those guys have had really good years wanted to reward them with that so yeah i feel pretty good about that i guess and now moving on to my all nba teams so the all nba teams were really hard for me so i I actually made six of them, so I'm going to give you my six All-NBA teams, starting with the first team. Let's start with the main guys on here. 
and I think the best three players in the league this year, like by far, were Jokic, Giannis, and Embiid. And so I have Jokic and as the center spot, and I kind of cheated a little bit and put Embiid as my second forward with and Giannis as my first forward, which all three of these guys you could consider centers. Giannis definitely works as a forward, though, on NBA, that's for sure. But Embiid, uh, probably, I don't know. I don't know if this works or not. I know Jokic is Jokic is more of a forward, I guess, than Embiid, but I just give the slight edge to Jokic uh, because I would vote him for MVP. So I want to give him the center spot just because I know, like, I'm not obviously actually voting, but I know in the All NBA ballots, like, position votes matter for some reason. Like, if Jokic were to get half of his votes as a forward and half of his votes as center, and then Embiid got all of his votes at center, like, that would make it so Embiid would get the first center spot, even though if, if Jokic might have had more votes for the first team than Embiid did, Embiid had more center votes than Jokic did, if that makes sense. So that would make Embiid the center on the first team. So only Jokic's forward votes would count for him to get in as a forward. And so since a lot of his votes, you know, half of them were at center, then there's probably a good chance that there are two other forwards that have more votes at forward than him. And so then he wouldn't make it on the first team at all, if that makes sense. Like it, this happened to Chris Middleton a couple years ago too. Like he didn't make all NBA third team because half of his votes were at guard and the other half were at like forward. So then, you know, somebody who had more votes than him at guard got in instead of comparing it, like how many votes he got total is, is dumb. Um, It should just be how many votes he got. Like I get like the doing the positional thing. I'm fine with keeping the positions for the most part. Like I don't really see that big of a issue with keeping positions, but definitely make it so the like votes for position thing doesn't affect like, like it should just be total votes. How many, how many first team votes did this guy have? It shouldn't be divvied up by position. If that makes sense. It's just like, how many votes did this guy get for all NBA first team? And then what position is he able to be put in at? And that's where he goes, if that makes sense. So what would decide between Embiid being on the first team or not is Jokic and Embiid both have however many votes or whatever. Yeah, if Jokic has at least like in the top two of all forwards in total votes, like including his votes from center and forward, if he's in the top two and Embiid is also his total votes would be in the top two. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if this is making any sense at all, but um, for it to be Jokic as the first team center and Embiid doesn't make it on there at all, it would have to be like Giannis had more total votes for the first team than Embiid did. And then also another forward did like uh, Jason Tatum, like Jason Tatum would have had to had to have more first team votes than Embiid did. If this, if this is making sense to you guys, I don't know, but you know, so then it would be Giannis and Tatum, as the forwards and then Jokic as a center. But if it was like Embiid had more first team votes than Tatum did and all other forwards did besides Giannis, then it would be Giannis and Jokic as the forwards because Jokic is able to play forward. So since Embiid, I don't know if this is making sense at all again, but um, it's hard to explain. <laughs> but there's definitely a way you could do that. You, you can definitely make it so the positional thing doesn't screw up whether a player gets on a team or not. Oh yeah. So those are my, my front court on the first team all NBA. And so then my back court, this one's a little bit harder. Like how I said with the rookies, how I feel like there's a top three and then a next 
tier of three after that. I feel like this it's the same with NBA slash MVP. So like top three, I'd put Jokic, Giannis, and Embiid. And then the next three for MVP slash NBA is probably Luka, Booker, and Tatum. Maybe Chris Paul as well. I feel like everybody's narrative or what everybody's talking about with the Suns, like they automatically give it to Booker over Paul. But I feel like they're really much closer. I, f- I give the slight nod to Booker, but I really don't feel like they're that far apart. I feel like everybody also was treating it that way because Chris Paul got hurt. But if you look at like how they ended up at the end of the season, Chris Paul only played three less games than Booker, and it wasn't that bad at all. Like he's played, Chris Paul has played 65 games this year, which is like not that bad. He hasn't missed like a crazy amount. And then Booker's played 68, but people are people are treating it like Devin Booker is the clear number four in the MVP race, and then Chris Paul is like completely disqualified from it, is what it feels like at least. But yeah, I have Luka Doncic and Devin Booker as my backcourt, my All NBA first team. I have Luka as my first guard, just because I feel like he's you know being the offensive engine for that team, doing everything for the Mavs. And Booker having a much better roster around him, as well as having another co-star in Chris Paul for the majority of the season. Like, I get Suns' best team in the league by record and everything, but I feel like there's a lot of reasons to explain that. You know, I think they they have a better coach, they have a better roster. Uh, Booker has, you know, like I just said, another, you know, all-NBA co-star in Chris Paul. So, yeah, I give the slight edge to Luka for that one. So then on my second team, I obviously have... Jason Tatum as my first forward, Chris Paul as my first guard, and then I have Steph as my second guard, DeRozan as my second forward, and I have Carl Anthony Towns as my center, which, you know, Towns didn't make a great case for himself in the plan game the other night. You know, plan doesn't count for regular season. So, yeah, and then on my third team, this this one's pretty hard for the guards. The third team is the hardest for me. I do have right now Donovan Mitchell and Trey Young, on my first team, or on my third team, rather, for guard. But John Morant, obviously, is the other guy that I feel like should be in there. Like, he was on pace at the beginning of the season to be in the first team, you know, as a first-team guard. But then Luka made a jump up throughout the season. Jaw missed a lot of games, and then also his team has just played a lot better without him than they have with him, which I don't think is really, like, all that big of a deal. I think that's probably a little bit more of a fluke with shooting percentages, like teams they went against just shooting not as well against them. And also a bit of a misdirection thing where, you know, team comes in more confident and, you know, gets cut off guard because they're going and playing a team without their best player, as well as offensively, you know, you're you're not really knowing what to expect playing the Grizzlies, what their game plan is going to be offensively without jaw. And so I think they kind of surprise some teams with being able to still create on offense and just kind of completely change how they played um, with him out. And then obviously defensively, they're at least a slightly better team without jaw because the guys they have coming in there to fill in are a little bit more, you know, defensively oriented, like D'Anthony Melton, um, maybe tight. I don't know who would be the def- better defender out of jaw and Tyus Jones. Um, Jaw's a little bit bigger and rangier, um, obviously. So, I don't know, but I think obviously without jaw, just on defense, you have a little bit of an improvement, which isn't, I don't think that big of an insult. There's lots of players that you could say that with, you know, pulling Trey Young out of the Hawks. Like it's obviously a worse team 
but defensively you can make some better lineups without Trey. Yeah. So I'm just trying to bring in all the factors that I feel like might've played in, played into that um, fluky sample of games that John Morant didn't play this year, which is 25. Um, so it's a pretty good amount. Um, number one and number two, the Grizzlies won 20 of those 25 games. Yeah. So right now I do have John Morant on my fourth team, all NBA, um, which obviously doesn't exist. It's just the top three, but I thought it'd be fun to do extra teams. Yeah. So Donovan Mitchell and Trey young are my two guards on the third team, all NBA. And then I have Kevin Durant and LeBron James as my two forwards, which, you know, this was another kind of harder one. Like they both didn't play that many games this year. They both played about the same as jaw, but you know, both those guys had awesome seasons, both averaged 30 points a game. KD and the nets are in the playoffs right now as the seven seed and are definitely not like eliminated by any means, you know, like they're definitely, they still have a shot in this tournament in this postseason. And if you look at games played and stuff with KD and LeBron, KD's played 55 games and LeBron has played 56, but the Nets actually without KD have only won 30% of their games this year. Like they're on, their win percentage is 30% in games without KD. And then the Lakers win percentage without LeBron is 31%. So obviously not much of a difference there. It's about the same, but the difference is with KD, the Nets have a 65% win percentage versus LeBron's 45% when he plays with the Lakers. So Durant adds an extra 35% uh, win percentage to his team this season to LeBron's 14, which I just feel like that's a slight you know, reason to give Durant the tiebreaker. But ultimately, they still end up on the, f- the same team, both third team forwards. Durant's team obviously had more success, but if you look at it, both their teams without them, the Nets are actually even slightly worse than the Lakers were. So I, I think that was a big uh, thing in favor of Durant that I discovered today when I was looking at that. Then I have Rudy Gobert as my center on the third team. And so, yeah, now on to like honorable mentions, I guess, or, you know, the fourth team on NBA. I have John Morant as the guard, first guard. And then I have Jalen Brown as my second guard. And then I got Jimmy Butler and Pascal Siakam as my forwards and Bam Adebayo as my center. And then fifth team All-NBA, I have Darius Garland as my first guard. I know the Cavs season hasn't been great lately. You know, it really fell off here at the end. But I just want to reward that really good season that they did have, especially early on. Garland was a huge part of that. So yeah, I'm going to put Garland here as the first guard on my All-NBA fifth team. And then Drew Holiday as my other guard, just because he actually has the biggest difference on the Bucks in terms of win percentage when he plays versus when he doesn't uh, compared to even Giannis and Chris Middleton. And, you know, he's put up good stats this year and everything. And obviously one of the best defenders in the league. Yeah. He has a plus 43% win percentage when he plays. So the Bucks won 70% of their games this year when he played versus 27% of their games without him. So that's a pretty stark difference there. And then my two forwards on my th- fifth team is that where i am now yeah fifth team um i have levine as a forward which you know most people would consider him a guard but he definitely plays some forward for the balls and i'm on my fifth team now so i feel fine with putting him at the three you know so i have zach levine as my first forward on the fifth team and then i have jaron jackson jr as my second forward on the fifth team 
and he's actually played 78 games this year. Um, so only missed four, uh, which is the most out of everybody so far. So yeah, I have Jaron Jackson Jr. there. And then I have Jarrett Allen as the center on my fifth team. And so then my sixth team all NBA, I have uh, Fred Van Vliet as my first guard. Second guard, I have DeJounte Murray from the Spurs. Averaged like almost a triple-double this year. And the Spurs definitely exceeded you know their win-loss expectations. And then I have Lamella Ball as a forward, but you know, he's like six seven, so definitely works. You can't put him at a three. Um also this is my sixth team on BA, so I am being a little bit more lenient with the positions. And then I have Chris Middleton as my other forward. And then I actually have Jonas Valanciunas as my center on my sixth team on NBA. Just because, you know, the Pelicans are still alive right now. They're you know, they're gonna be playing for that eight seed tonight in the playing tournament. And Jonas Valanciunas has been arguably their best player this season, to be honest. Yeah, so then I guess honorable, these are the actual honorable mentions because these are guys I, you know, there were candidates for being on one of these teams, but ultimately didn't make it on one of the top six teams. And that's Kyle Lowry, Mikhail Bridges is another one. I guess you could put Brandon Ingram in there as well. I haven't looked at how many games he's played. I had uh, Middleton over him. Didn't think too hard about that one. Yeah, and he's only played 55 games this year. And maybe CJ McCollum, I guess, as a another honorable mention. So yeah, those are my All NBA teams. Hopefully, you can remember those. <laughs> Luca Booker, Giannis, Embiid, Jokic, his first team. Chris Paul, Steph, Tatum, DeRozan, and Towns is my second team. And then Mitchell, Trey, Durant, LeBron, and Gobert are my third team. And then Morant, Jalen Brown, Butler, Siakam, Bam, fourth team. Garland, Drew Holiday, Zach Levine, Jaron Jackson Jr., Jared Allen. It's my fifth team. And then finally, Fred Van Vliet, DeJounte Murray, LaMelo Ball, Chris Middleton, and Jonas Valanciunas are my sixth team. So there we go. Thank you guys for listening. Go check out the YouTube channel. Like and subscribe over there. Also, uh, follow the feed here on Spotify if you haven't. And if you would, please also leave a rating, which I now just discovered is on spotify for podcasts never really paid attention to that before yeah so if you want leave like a star rating review yeah so i'll talk to you guys next episode thank you for listening